Greetings. Jedi Master Yoda this is, or at least his voice. It's Tom Kane uh, here at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con, and you're listening to An Elegant Weapon. Listen, you will. Foreseen it, I have. Yes. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. An elegant weapon for the more civilized age. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 204. My name is Jay, J.M. Clark, Jay the Jedi Ross, and it is so nice to be back here with all of you kids in the L5J studios this week. Kids, we've come to an end. We have come to a close. We are now approaching the end of our grand adventures at the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. We brought you Ray Park, we brought you Robin Lord Taylor, James Frain, Denise Crosby, Julian Glover, Tim Rose, so much good stuff, and this week we're going to wind it out with my final conversation from the great Philadelphia Comic Con 2016, and that conversation is a joyous one. A joyous one for me, and a huge honor. Anybody who listens to the show regularly knows what a fan of voiceover artistry and sound engineering that I am, and this week brings all that together kids i get to sit down and have a chat with the legendary mr tom kane tom kane is the voice of many cartoons from your life but you will know him best as of course master yoda from the clone wars video games uh so many different things uh tom kane is also a past announcer with the Oscars, which is very cool to hear him talk about. Uh, and as well, we are joined by Lucasfilm sound engineer. He also just worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, a bit of a fluke how he ended up being the voice of the one and only Mr. General Grievous, but you're going to hear all about that in this conversation. So uh, one final thank you. One final thank you to Chris and Carla Wirtz, uh, the force behind the great philadelphia comic-con it was such an honor to be there this year i hope to come back next year and get to fulfill that moderation role again bringing my cohorts with me from the points of interest podcast network and uh yeah uh huge thanks of course to stan kanapka uh, the one and only sponsor of an elegant weapon, Nemesis Studios. Stan, thank you so much for all your love and support and uh, presenting us with this incredible opportunity. So, here we go, kids. One hell of a way to wind it out. The voice of Yoda, the voice of General Grievous himself. Ladies and gentlemen, my conversation with Mr. Tom Kane and Mr. Matthew Wood. How is your weekend going, guys? Good. That's been, excellent to it's hear. It's going well. We've been having fun and hanging out with people, and it's been good. Very good. Do you guys get to do a lot of conventions together? Oh, once it's in a while. a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. We've also worked together professionally yeah. before a lot. Right. So, a yeah, couple times a year, we do conventions, and you know, just run across each other professionally. You know, we've been doing that for ten years, so. Right. Well, it must be nice. I mean, in voiceover, you can be very, very, very busy, yet kind of do it from home. Yeah. I know a lot of you guys have quality in home studios yeah. now. I'm sure the both of you do. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We. You know. He. He's even 
one-up me. He's got stuff he can carry around from city actually to city. Actually, all my backpack. Yes. Oh, and nice. we actually used it to we record it, Tom yeah. in the hotel room uh, yeah. yesterday for Very some projects. Worked phenomenally well, actually. <laughs> so. Now I've got to go buy a bunch of stuff so I can have one. Nice. Well, so how does it start for you, Matthew, that you're not just, you know, a voiceover guy, but you are so on the technical side and just kind of have this love of sound? Like, where did that come from? Uh, I, I, I really wanted, well, Star Wars was the thing that piqued my interest to even see that uh, there was a technical side to filmmaking, and that was, that was the first time I ever saw something that uh, the artists who made the films were also talked about in the press, and, I, and I, it was just the first realization for me that it's not just... It's a bunch of actors on set making a movie. There's a huge crew behind it, and, and uh, that piqued my interest. And it just so happened that Lucasfilm was in my local area, and I, I, uh, I put out a resume for a job when I was really young, and I got a job video game testing there when I was a kid. And so I, uh, I started video game testing there, and, um, and then George Lucas was developing a sound program called Soundroid, which was going to be used on the prequels, and uh, he wanted one of the best testers from the games company to come over and work on that to try to break it. And so that was me. And, <laughs> and we ended up uh, using that program uh, on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles TV show. And then that went forward into the prequels. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun indeed. Yeah. And uh, yourself, Tom, how did you become involved with the Star Wars universe? Well, I was in, uh, in L.A. Uh, and just auditioning for whatever, you know, my agents uh, found. Uh, you know, me and a million other, you know, young aspiring voiceover people. And uh, one of the things that's kind of a part and parcel of being in voiceover work in L.A. is that if you do any kind of character voices or dialects or anything, you'll eventually end up auditioning for stuff like this because the same agents that audition for a Chevrolet commercial uh, also get all the auditions for the cartoons and the video games and stuff like that. So they, they knew, uh, they meaning my agents, they knew before uh, I even signed with them that that's, that was something I was good at. And so they right off the bat started submitting me for anything that was sort of in my wheelhouse. And, uh, and it took a long time. I mean, I was... I, I was very successful, you know, right right from the beginning at, at commercials and uh, movie trailers and promos and stuff like that. But animation, I don't think I really landed anything of, of note for two years. Um, and it wasn't because I, you know, was really bad and got better. It's just, you know, people don't know you. And um, I, I always refer to it as the, uh, the plumber effect. You know, I mean, if you've got an old house and... Uh, you've had the house for 20 years and it occasionally has, you know, a leaky faucet or a bad pipe and you've called the same plumber for 20 years and he shows up on time and he does a good job and he charges you a fair price and he cleans up and leaves. Well, the next time you spring a leak, you're not going to go to the internet and try to find a new plumber. You're just going to call the same guy you know. Well, casting directors are the same way. They, they need someone to do five lines as a French chef they're not going to hold auditions and list, look at 20 new people to do five lines as a French chef. They're just going to book someone they know. So it takes time to, to, to go in front of these people often enough that, that you start to become someone they think of as part of the gang. You know, you're, you're there and you, 
and you've been in front of them 10 times and you do a good job every time and so they eventually go well you know what let's let you know let's let Matt do the French plumber or Tom or whoever and at that point now you're you're kind of part of the Scooby gang so so uh, do you approach them in want of doing Yoda or do they just need a Yoda are they like hey get Tom no that was a that was an odd kind of an odd thing that um, probably would not have happened anywhere else other than Lucasfilm and, and that because that's just kind of the way George rolled you know he he uh, uh, the little bit of interaction that I've had with him and and that I, I, I know of you know he's, he's he's certainly back in the day was like hey I need someone to do this and they play him a voice and he'd go yeah that's good use that so it was just kind of that simple. They, I was doing other things for uh, uh, Lucasfilm, for games, and uh, just miscellaneous voices. You know, TIE Fighter Pilot Number 2. And, uh, and they, they knew I was a good mimic, so I started doing, you know, like uh, I did an early version of Boba Fett. Um, I did, a, you know, early Tarkin, um, stuff like that back, you know, I'm talking about the mid-90s, you know, and they... Uh, just happened one day I was goofing around and you know there were Yoda lines and the script and I was reading you know we all do that but you know if you see someone else's lines you kind of you just start talking in their voice and part of it's just to see if you can do it and part of it's to try to get better at it and uh, what I didn't know was that uh, the original guy Frank Oz uh, had become a very successful director and he was actually off in New York shooting a movie of some kind and uh, they didn't have the technology back then where you could talk in New York and they could record it in, you know, up at Skywalker Ranch or wherever. Um, back then they had to book a studio and they would record it to a reel or, you know, something and have to FedEx it, you know, for two days. So I, uh, I didn't know any of that. And uh, I, I was booked a week later to do another session for the game division. And I just assumed it was going to be you know, the standard stuff, and no, you're Yoda. I'm like, what? And it was, you know, the guy told me exactly that. It's just, you know, someone went to George, I assume it was Dara, and said, yeah, we got a bit of a problem, we need Yoda for this, and Frank won't be back in time, and, you know. Did they know you had a Yoda? Yeah, well, the, the director did, because he'd heard me do it, and, uh, he, it was really just that simple. He played a few lines for George, and George went, yeah, okay, use him. <laughs> and, that's, and that was 20 years ago, so it's, it's been nonstop ever since then. So. We were speaking last night, and the thing that I love about your Yoda is that it is so Jedi Yoda. It's, it's, the, it's the lower range of the mm -hmm. Yoda impersonation rather than the very kind of, you know, higher-pitched one that you'd hear just Cart any general... Well, do, yeah, you know? it's like, well, that's, that's one thing that's been hard uh, is that because, you know, uh, as Frank aged and the character evolved, it, it does sound different. So, I mean, you know, depending on what movie you're listening to or, or what era it was recorded in, and there are several different Yodas in terms of the, you know, the, the, the earlier stuff was more playful and more giggly. Uh, the later stuff was much darker and more serious. So there was a period of time with Clone Wars where uh, I actually ran across uh, George Lucas at a, uh, what, 
was it? It was, it was uh, the Lifetime Achievement Award for uh, Sean Connery. And uh, I, I just asked him. He was backstage, and he was by himself. And I, was, I just said, uh, you know, I didn't even know if he would remember who I was. So I like, hello, I'm Tom Kane. I'm your Yoda. And he, of course, did remember. But I, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised at that. But uh, I just said, how is it? You know, is it, am I doing OK? Is it, you know? And he was like, well, I actually was going to talk to Dave, who was the director, about that. And, and I just thought, oh, well, I guess I'm getting fired. But uh, actually, he just said, no. He said, I, I want you to sound, you're, you're sounding too much like Ep3 Yoda. And I'm like, isn't that what you, what you want? He goes, no, no, no. I want you to sound more like Ep5 Yoda, which is Empire. And uh, I'm like, oh, well, I, yeah, I can do that. I just, I, no one told me that. And he goes, well, now you know. <laughs> so so uh, that's what we, I modified it a little bit and kind of struck a middle ground, and then every, everybody seemed happy with that. So that's kind of where it is. So. Yeah. Well, you've probably played him more than anybody at this point. Oh, well, yeah, definitely in terms of just sheer line count, you yeah. know, spoken. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've I, I done 50 times more than anybody else because of the games and right. stuff like that. There's just, you know, especially a game. Yeah, you know, Matt will attest to this. You know, some of these video game scripts are three inches thick. I mean, it's yeah. just huge amounts of dialogue. So, um, right, you know, because right. you can't, it's not just, you know, in a movie or a, a TV series, if Yoda is telling someone, you know, to go after the stormtrooper, he just says, the stormtrooper went that way. Or he, he went east. But in a game, he has to go, the stormtrooper went east. Then you have to go west he went, south he went, northeast he went, southwest he went. What, you know, so you have to cover every possibility. So <laughs> it's, it's just a lot more words. Right, yeah. right. Um, Matt, did you ever work on the Masters of Terrace Kasi video game then? Uh, I, I did not work on that, but I did play it a lot. <laughs> I loved that game. I love that game. game. Anybody yeah. know that, this game for like PlayStation? The, the first the PlayStation, wasn't yeah, it? The yeah, the first. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it was just like an arcade like dueling game, like a versus game, and you could be all the characters. And yeah, just it was the first time in a video game you could have a lightsaber fight. Oh, right. And I yeah. think that was one of the, the yeah. coolest What things. was it called? Ma uh, Masters of Terrace Kasi. Okay, that sounds familiar. I think it's like yeah, it was yeah. like mid '90s. Yeah, yeah something that. like that. Yeah. It's Early like Terrace Kasi's like there's this one character. It's like the Star Wars Kung Fu is like Terrace Kasi. It's about the last time I was actually able to turn on one of those things and use a, you know <laughs> without being just baffled. So how about you tell the story of how Grievous comes to be? Uh, that you know that character was uh, it was a design. Uh, Warren Fu had put together the design of that character and. The first time I saw an image of it was on the cover of Star Wars Insider magazine. They had this kind of moody-looking skull shot of him, um, and it was lit all all, all spooky. I remember thinking, like, who are they going to have to get the, Who are they going to get for that? You know. Um, and it was all it was a digital character, so it was just going to be voice that was going to be driving its dramatic dramatic performance. And so we cast out a pretty wide net for folks to, to do auditions for it. Um, Robin Gerlin was our casting director on that, on that movie. And um, uh, we probably had like 50 people casted for it. And George, George looked at, you know, listened to everything that he was getting. And he kind of like, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Maybe part of that. Maybe part of that. And 
And then we do out another casting package, same kind of thing. You're like, kind of like that, kind of like that, but he never really could hone down on one actor. And so I unified the auditions all through one process, because Grievous has a, a voice synthesizer box that's kind of synthesizing his cybernetic voice, you know, and so I, I wanted that to be a standard for every actor so we could see how it, it played through that to make it sound like it was um, kind of filtered a little bit and a little bit, um, a little warbly in its, in its tone. And so uh, on the last set, my, my buddy Chris, who I've worked with for a long time, was like, why don't you put, you do it, just, just we'll do it as a joke, you know, just put it in there and don't tell him. And, and, and so I did that. I, I, I basically took what I thought that he liked from those performances, and I did one and, and uh, sent it up with all the rest of the, the last set of auditions. And we put, I put it under the initials of every actor in the file name. And then George put the, the assistant cut those into the, the editing system so he could hear the, watch it against picture. And so I kind of forgot about it. A week or so went by. And then I got the call from the producer saying, hey, George picked one. We're all very excited. He's picked a, a voice, and, and it's, uh, it's the, the, the file name's initials are AS, so we need that, we need AS, whoever that is, and can you, you know, and so I went back to my list of all, I collated all my list of actors against what I put in there, and I looked, and there was no AS. I was like, oh no, like I, <laughs> I'd forgotten, I didn't know who, which one it was, and I was gonna have to, I was gonna have to figure that out, like, oh, and I was kind of kicking myself that I did bad organization on my file names, and. <laughs> And then I, I, I think I left it, and I was kind of stressed out. I was walking back to walking over to the lunchroom, and then I realized, <gasps> like that's me, you know. <laughs> so I put it under Alan Smithy. That's oh, a, that's, okay. That's what I did Alan my, Smithy, which is right. like a term that you use if you want to be anonymous when you're film in filmmaking. Um, and so then I saw the producer at lunch, pretty much right after I realized it was me, and I kind of scared, you know, I was like, I didn't expect it to go this far at all. And so I told him, and I was like, Rick, um, he's like, I need that name. We need, you know, ILM is waiting. We, we, the last thing to do is the, the final animation of the character to, to incorporate the voice acting. And so he's, I need it, you know. We got like a hundred artists waiting at ILM right now to do the final animation. Pens so, in hand. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, Rick, it's me. He's like, what do you, what do you mean? I'm like, it's, it's me. I, I, George picked my voice. I didn't expect that to happen. And he got a little like, well, what do you want me to do, man? What, what, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, just tell him, you know, tell him. And I'm like, okay. So I eat my lunch, I go back, and I'm just sitting in my desk like, am I going to get fired? Like, what? I don't even know. Like, what do I do? I don't, and so I get the call, and, or the phone rings, and hello? And it's like, hey, Matt, it's George, you know? Hi, you know, he's like, I hear you're grievous. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yes. He's like, well, that's great. You know, I'll come by tomorrow. We'll record the whole thing. So great. he was, oh. he was really nice about it. And so I came in, he came in and, and uh, I did the whole performance, you know, and, and there was a lot of lines that were, you have to be really, really project his voice is really like, I, what I ended up doing was just kind of talking like, What's the situation, Captain? You know, you do this like, ah, kind of thing. And so uh, a few of the lines were really long, and I couldn't get through them. And, and I'd, I'd have to pick up to do a second take. And he'd be like, no, 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 that's fine. That's great, you know? I was like, well, I didn't get through that take. I coughed in the middle of it. He's like, no, 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 no it's fine. So I was like, OK. 
And, uh, and then he had this idea to have the character cough to kind of give him this biological component so you could see that he was cybernetic and then also that he had a weakness and maybe it was uh, sort of the same kind of tech that Vader was having to use or something. But right. then, funnily enough, George himself had a really bad cough one day and Chris and I surreptitiously recorded him and I put that in the movie. So some of the coughs, some of the <laughs> coughs cough, of George, uh, of Grievous, are George as well. So I just. Oh wow! And then, I, I was going to ask yeah. you because I'd heard that same story, yeah. uh, maybe from you, but I was yeah. going to ask if that was true that yeah, that was no, George coughing. <laughs> yeah, some of the coughs are him. It was like a horrendous cough that day, and we were like, "Are we going to lose him like right now?" <laughs> it sounds there's some crazy stories to Star Wars voiceover. Yeah. Uh, if you're familiar with Mark Dodson, the, oh, yeah, the, the voice of Salacious, Salacious Crumb. Crumb, he was yeah. here last year, and we had the same kind of chat, and uh, he was actually not a voiceover artist. He was a laborer. He was a woodworker, yeah. and he was working at at, uh, at the ranch, and he was building the sound booth. While he was building the sound booth one day, he was just kind of talking to himself, just kind of muttering and making the little like salacious gremlin sounds. He was the gremlins as well. And you know, they were trying to find someone for salacious. And I'm not sure who it was, one of the producers or something, remembered hearing Mark do that. So he just went to him and he's like, do you think you could you know, do that for us? And he's like- Yeah, Ben Burt actually recorded him, who's oh. our, the sound designer okay, of the yes, original yes. Star Wars. And he recorded Mark's laugh. And, yeah. and used it as salacious, and just, and that those kind of stories are great. I love how people yeah. get. Well, he discovered. ended up recording salacious in the booth that he built with yeah. his own hands. Nice, that's, <laughs> that's really amazing. great. Yeah, you know, it's a cool, cool story. And then a weird little full circle story with Mark is that I knew that because Ben had told me that, and so I wanted to hire him. So we had Mark come out on Force Awakens. And he came out uh, with Tom, and actually, yeah. and then we all we did a day's worth of recording at Fox for just ancillary characters in the movie. And there was one scene where there's two characters playing chess or something, or some board game in, in Maz's castle, and they're both laughing. And I used, I had Mark come back, and I recorded him to oh, laugh okay. for that. You know, right. Just because I wanted to get that, like, you know, Sal original people in there. The salacious yeah. laugh. And JJ was really into that stuff. He was. Well, like, you guys were great trying to bring back as much of the heritage as you yeah. could, right? Like, just like, you know, it's not like all these, you didn't require any of these people. Well, it was Star just Wars for the love, is, right? I mean, it does require those people, in my yes, opinion. Yes, but yes. I think Star Wars has, you know, sound has this ability to sort of get in subliminally to people and, and connect you back to what you remember. And it, it does it not with things on screen, it's like this secret kind of portal into somebody's emotion. And we use that and sound, all those classic sound effects that were made, like the TIE Fighters and the lightsabers and X-Wings and all that. We, we incorporate all those in the new movies, just, and it really grounds you really easily. And so that's also with the voice talent, I feel like I wanted to grab all the people I could that had done so much hard work on Clone Wars and in the, in the prequels and also the original four, five, and six. And well, just, thank you. Yeah, yeah, Thank you very fun. much. Well, I, <laughs> it turned it really nice. fun. I had a, a, a demonstration one time uh, that I saw that was trying to show people how incredibly important sound and music is. Because it's one of those things you just take for granted. It's like someone, is, I don't know what, even what it applied to, but someone was talking about some element of you know, a production saying, you, if you do your job right and you do a good job of it, no one notices. They only notice if it's bad. And um, as an example of how important some of this stuff was, they took the scene from Jaws that the very beginning where the 
woman swimming and, you know, gets pulled under the water and, you know, the bum, 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 bum the first time. And all they did is, uh, first they dropped out the sound design. So suddenly you don't hear the wave lapping and you don't hear splashing and, and uh, it was like, well, it still worked okay. And they said, okay, now here is no sound design and no music. It was just whatever natural sound was when they filmed that scene. So you hear her splashing a little bit, but all the boom, 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 that's gone. And her, you know, they had added <gasps> and, <gasps> and all these sounds, you know, in post-production. And without those things, it was nothing. It just sat there. It was just some woman in the water. And it had no emotional impact at all. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's what we hope. I mean, we hope as sound people that we can further the story and also give it a, bi a bigger scope um, with sound. And it's, in, it's a cost-effective way I to had, do that. <laughs> I had a kind of a strange example sort of of that happened recently. I was watching with my son the, uh, what was it, the, the Flintstones WWE special. Okay. I don't know if you know this. Okay. I no, I didn't that. know that. No. It's the Flintstones. Anyone? Has anybody seen this? <laughs> it's the Flintstones, but... Yeah. All the WWE wrestlers, John Cena and all them are, you know, it's, it revolves around them in the Flintstone world. Now, Kevin Michael Richardson. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. Absolute incredible talent. Uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of him, Barney but Rebel. he's just the man. And I know for a fact how good he is. Everybody knows how good this guy is. No one would doubt it for a second. He played Barney Rubble in this movie didn't even try to sound like him. Like, it's not even close to the, <laughs> the Fred, you know? Like, it's like a high-pitched, like... Yeah. And I just, I'm like, was this just a, hey, let's try something, let's take a shot? Because I know he knows he doesn't, he didn't sound like Barney. Huh. So I'm not sure what went into that, you know? And I'm still, I'm, every, I, it'll come on TV once in a while. I'm just like, what was he thinking, like... Because well, he he's a, such he, a pro. He can do Barney dead on. Um, and, and James Arnold Taylor, who, of course, is Obi-Wan in The Clone Wars, uh, they worked together on a number of, of projects where uh, Kevin was Barney and James is Fred Flintstone. And one of the things is I use that all the time when I talk to people about it. It's, it's an example of how ridiculously wonderful voiceover work can be and how far from reality it can be uh, you know, Kevin Michael Richardson, you know, for those of you who don't know, I mean, you know, Barney Rubble's this short little blonde guy. Hey, Fred, you know, <laughs> you know. Well, Kevin Michael Richardson is a five foot nine, 400 pound bald black guy. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you've got, you've got uh, uh, James Arnold Taylor, who is playing Fred Flintstone, who's supposed to be this big hulking Barney, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Well, James is about five two. And, and 110 pounds soaking wet. So you've got this little tiny blonde guy going, Barney, and this hulking, you know, sort of matrix guy going, hey, Brute. And, and no one would have a clue. And, and it's just, I, you know, I look at that and, and I, it's, you know, I, someone told me once uh, that's been working in animation since the 1960s, it was really the first area in Hollywood that was integrated uh, because they, you know, very early on, uh, they, they didn't care whether you were tall, short, black, white, purple, green. If you could do the best voice, they, they hired you to do it because no one saw you. 
And as weird as that sounds, you know, back in the 60s and stuff, it, it was like all of a sudden you would start seeing minorities that were doing things that they would never have gotten a chance to do before because you couldn't see them and you didn't know that that, that ancient Chinese wizard was really some white guy. Right. And, and you didn't know that that, that Barney Rubble character was a black guy. You didn't, it didn't matter. Right. Just if, if you could do the voice, you got the job. That's great. So, and, it, and that's, you know, that's still true today. I mean, Tom Kinney, who you guys all know is, you know, a million it's different crazy. things. He's SpongeBob, and he's... Tommy got cast in uh, Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends as, as Eduardo, who's this hulking purple monster that speaks Spanish. And, and you know, everything, he's, he's got like a, a bit of a Spanish accent. Everything he says, it sounds like this. Well, Tommy's like from Boston, and he hasn't the faintest idea how to do a Hispanic accent back then. And so we're sitting there, and there were times when he had to say something in Spanish, because uh, Eduardo would drop some Spanish in, and he would, you know, here's this guy that's incredibly talented going, it, uh, it is it bu bu bonos, bonos and then Gray Delisle, who is Hispanic, would sit there and she'd go, buenos dias. And he'd go, buenos dias. You know? So here's this beautiful woman who doesn't look faintly Mexican, who actually is, feeding this white guy from Boston Spanish, who's then trying to sound like a Hispanic character. I mean, it's just like, and we would just sit there laughing because it was just so ridiculous. But no one cares. You know, it's like, whatever. It's amazing. Does, uh, if anybody has any questions, we've got a microphone set up right here. And you can find your way to it if you have any questions. Um, I'll ask you quickly, though. It, it, coming off that, it's so insane how you can't tell the difference. You, a lot of you guys are so talented, like James Arnold Taylor. It's insane. And uh, most people have heard the story now, he, how he recorded for the Force Vision in Episode 7. And then they got you in to be able to do it. And I, I heard James somewhere say, well, if you're going to get bumped, you might as well get bumped by the real yeah, guy, the real right? Because it's, it's unbelievable. You can't tell those two apart at times. It's, no, yeah. that's, that's true. Yeah. yeah, he's got a lot of talent. Yeah, talent. How are you? Hi. Um, have you ever worked with Mike Patton on anything, or would you? Mike Patton? From Faith No More. He's done movies oh, like no. I Am Legend as the Monsters. Gosh, no, uh, I, haven't, I haven't had a chance. No, uh, yeah, I haven't had a chance. I'd have to look at his work. He does, like, the vocalizing? He, for the yeah, he does a lot of crazy different monster effects. Um, is he based out of L.A. or some um, other city? I think he is. Like, his band is from California. Oh, so. right. Yeah. They just did that in Doctor Who recently. There was an episode of Doctor Who with this really large creature, and, oh, who was it? Corey from Slipknot. Corey from Slipknot. They had to do the guttural, like, scream of this monster yeah, and it was pretty yeah. yeah it was pretty cool that they they do stuff like that yeah i played the video game for the comic the darkness and i thought like man mike patton would make an awesome star wars villain huh. right that's on. cool we'll have cool. to look into that right. well it, it does it is most one of the fun things about doing voiceover work is you do run across some pretty amazingly famous and or talented or both people from completely different walks of life that you know, sometimes they get hired just because of who they are and they're, they're good or not good as it might be. Sometimes they get hired because of who they are and they're phenomenal. I mean, uh, the best example, that's Mark, Mark Hamill. I mean, if there's anybody that belongs in the world of voiceover work, it's him. He's just ridiculously talented at it. So, you know, uh, and everybody assumed 
you know, when he first started getting into games and, and stuff, everyone assumed was, oh, yeah, they just hire him because he's Luke Skywalker. No, he auditioned for those things just like anybody else. And I'm sure the name didn't hurt, but he got the job because he was the best one for that. I mean, I, I rival, I mean, I challenge anyone to try to come up with a better Joker than he did for 15 years. A I mean, lot of people try, though. Yeah. There's a lot of good Jokers out there. There are. Yeah, but he's the Joker, right? Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, I don't know if you ever watched the Wild Thornberries, the yeah. cartoon I did. I, I, Donnie, who was the little feral boy that they found that never yeah, spoke. He never said, he was going to make noises. That was uh, Michael Balzari, otherwise known as Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And he got the gig because he was great at it. You know, I'm, I'm sure everyone got a thrill that it was Flea, but he got the gig because he was really good. And, uh, you know, so it was funny because my wife is not, she couldn't care less about all of this stuff. It's just what her husband does for a living. And uh, we all went to dinner one night the, uh, somewhere on Highland. And so, you know, we've got a table and it's me and, and, uh, and Flea and Tim Curry and Lacey Chabert. I mean, so it was, you know, it was really awesome just sitting there talking. And they had a security dude, you know, kind of stationed there because it was a bar in LA. So people started recognizing people and coming up, not me, but they're coming up, you know, trying to get autographs. And the security guys are like, no, no, just leave them alone. They're eating dinner. And uh, after a, and my wife and Michael had been just sitting there just talking about kids. We had children the same age. And maybe it was just going on about, a, you know, like a half hour. And um, she turned to me at one point. Michael got up to go to the bathroom and stuff. And she said, man, there's a lot of people trying to get Tim Curry trying to get his autograph or something. And I said, I don't, I don't think they're coming up for Tim. And she goes, well, who, who else would they be doing? I'm like, Michael? And she goes, why? And I realized, oh my God, I've always called him Michael. And she doesn't know who it is. My <laughs> wife had been sitting there talking to Flea for half an hour. And I said, oh, it, that's Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And my own wife was like, yeah, right. I'm like, no, you've been sitting there talking to Flea for the last half hour. And she was like, yeah, right. And, and, and I'm like, no. It's and she, re and she realized all of a sudden when he came back, she's looking at him. And all of a sudden, you could see the light bulb go off. And she went, oh, my God. And she could barely talk to him after that. So it was just very cool. Very cool. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah. Have you ever been tempted during the Oscars to bust something out? Like Yoda present, like Yoda introduce somebody. Oh, thing. I've been tempted. I've never done it because I want to keep working. <laughs> right, for him, of course. But. but the thought has to pop in your head once in a while. It, 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 I almost during a rehearsal one time, I thought about introducing Morgan Freeman in his voice, but I thought he, I thought he might not appreciate that. So. Hi, how are you? Hey, how are you doing? I was wondering if maybe you ever um, either voiced a character or maybe auditioned for a character where you sort of envisioned maybe the character looking a certain way and then when you found out what they look like, it didn't really match with how you voiced it? Well, in, I'm sure everybody's experience is somewhat different, but I, in all the things I've ever gotten as an audition, they provide a sketch. So fortunately, I never had to actually turn any brain cells on to try to imagine anything. I, you know, I, there's a pencil sketch usually, sometimes a full-blown color rendering. And, you know, they're like, this is what it looks like, and, and they'll give a description. So usually it's, that's pretty, 
pretty well decided long before it gets to the voiceover does stage. Does that then influence? How Pardon you, me? Does that then influence how you choose the voice? Um, well, yeah. Again, I'm I'm a little different than a, a lot of voiceover guys because you know, uh, I'm I'm not the most original character when it comes to coming up with original characters. I uh, and then and a lot of guys are. I mean, people like Tom Kinney and, and Billy West and stuff. They come up with new and strange things. And I'm I'm more just a kid who grew up, you know, in the golden age of TV reruns. So I, I, I sort of just take things that I heard growing up and I'll mix them, you know, with something else in my head and I try to come up with something that sounds kind of new and different, but most of my stuff is really a blend of me and someone I grew up hearing. So it's not in my process, it's, it's just different. You know, most people do try to come up with some completely new thing that no one's ever heard before and I'm, that's just not the way my brain works. It's, I'm, I'm much better at lifting the work of those that came before me and were much better at it. So <laughs> get to glom off their reflected glory. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. How are you? Good, good. Uh, my question was like uh, with traditional acting and stuff, uh, you have a lot of tools. You can use body language, you can use the camera, a lot of stuff to give the emotion that you're trying to give out with a character. But when you're just using your voice, how do you convey emotion and how do you get into character when, when it's just your voice and we just hear you? So, like, how, how do you convey emotion just with voice acting? Well, I mean, I, I've really done almost no on-camera work at all ever, so I'm, it's hard for me to do a apples-to-apples apples comparison because that's just not been my career. Um, but I imagine it's pretty similar. You know, it just the only thing I've, I've seen people come in that are from the on-camera world, and honestly, the only, you know, the, it, sound, it seems like the process is kind of the same except for the motion, and, and that usually causes more trouble than anything, because the people that are completely heavy-duty on-camera folks, and he can, he's, <laughs> he's probably had a million examples of this, more than I've had, but it takes some effort for them to not get off mic. So, because they're used to being able, you know, if I'm talking to him in the script, they're, they're used to turning and looking at him, and suddenly they're off mic. And, in voiceover work, obviously you can't. Even though I'm talking to him, I'm, I've got to look at the script, and I can't turn my head more than an inch or so in any direction. Um, so that that's just a technical thing that that, that on-camera people have a, sometimes a hard time adjusting to is just having to be rigid and sit there. But he. Yeah, I've had I've had experiences with um, my, one of the jobs that I do in my sound work is I re-record actors, so I'm, I'm bringing the uh, actors from the movie back into the set, uh, back into the studio, and we have to re-record lines that might not have been recorded correctly on set, or there's been a line change or something like that. So, yeah, I do find that the straight-up voice actors that are, that's their profession, there is a certain quality that I know I'm going to get on a, on a record, which is, I just know it's going to be really good, and it's going to be on mic, it's going to be uh, intelligible, it's going to have... Uh, the right cadence, it's going to have the right uh, the pronouncing of the words. It's gonna, I mean, there's just like a certain level of the craft that happens there with, with voice uh, work. And yeah, there's uh, the, the actors that are on camera, they'll rely on... It's funny, when I work with an actor that works on camera, sometimes I don't want... I don't look at them while they're recording because they're used... I can get 
fooled into thinking that what's coming across, which might only be a, a vocal performance at that point, if I'm looking at them, I'm going to get like lured into their body performing a certain way, and I might think that, oh, that's going to be a great take because I see how their body's moving, but, if, but I'm not using their body. It'll be somebody that's doing something that's under a helmet or like that, that there was, you know, a lot of characters in Star Wars have helmets on or something, so I want to make sure what I get from them, I'm just listening with my ears and not with my eyes. I never I, thought of that, yeah, but yeah. I, I want to just hear it, because I mean, I did that, we, we had, a, um, on the Clone Wars series, we had Corey Burton, who's like one of the best voice actors ever, yeah. and an amazing sound technician in, in his own right with his microphone technique, and he, what, he played Count Dooku, mm-hmm. um, coming off of what Christopher Lee had done in, in the prequels, and both, you know, obviously Christopher Lee had done hundreds of films and was completely professional, amazing, but we just had this opportunity to use Christopher in, this, in the Clone Wars movie, but we'd already had all of Corey's recordings in there, and so I had to sort of play Corey's recordings for Christopher to hear, to get the timing right, because the animation had been done, and it was just interesting to hear the difference. I mean, certainly Count Dooku is is Christopher Lee in the, in the movies, and then it's, it's really Corey in the Clone Wars, but to hear those, at one point halfway through the session, Christopher Lee was like, boy, the, you know, the guy who you got to do the temp lines, he's pretty good, you might want to just use him, <laughs> he said. Oh, I was like, no, 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 we really want you, of course, you know, but it was just funny to, to hear that difference, because obviously Corey's a, you know, yeah. he crafted that character. I mean, he played Count Dooku out of the side of his mouth. I don't yeah. know if you ever used to see. He has this technique where he would, I can't even do it, but he yeah. would he would do Dooku out of the side of his mouth, which like totally worked. It worked. Uh, yeah. And, um, Weird. But that's, yeah, but Christopher Lee's obviously a huge part of him was his imposing stature and presence and gravitas and his look and his everything, you know. So that was yeah. one of those where I'm like, okay, I can't look at him while he's performing. I wanted to, because it was an animated. Feature. It's crazy. So Your wanna, eyes are, can be I want to listen to them only, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's cool. And, uh, that's just the difference in those two, you know, those professions. Well, they, they, it, it's very common when uh, people are recording a, a cartoon of some kind uh, to videotape them, so that the animators can get their facial expressions. And I had somebody, it might have been Clone Wars, tell us that that doesn't work so well with voiceover people. If it's an on-camera person doing a voiceover, then it's of great value because they, they, get, they get that on-screen, what he's just talking about. They, they, you know, if Christopher Lee is, is doing his, a cartoon version of himself and they videotape it, well, that, that's, they're getting Christopher Lee and his expressions and his everything. So when it comes time to animate, something that looks like Christopher Lee and it's his voice, then yeah, it's a wonderful thing for them to have. But I, I had someone tell me, I'm pretty sure it was Lucasfilm, said that there was voiceover people, it's, it, it's not that helpful because to get the sound, sometimes we contort our faces in ridiculous ways. To, and it's like he's talking about Corey Burton vocally sounds incredibly like Christopher Lee just phenomenally close. But to get that, Christopher Lee would just talk. Corey Burton does it out of the side of his mouth and it's like sort of, and it's like, if you animated that, he'd look like he had palsy or something, you know, you know it just, it just it, you just can't really use a lot of it, so. Right. But uh, they did that to me the other day. I was recording a character and, uh, 
And it's happened in the past with Yoda, where they wanted me to videotape it. And they just asked because it's an automatic thing. They're like, videotape it. And, I, you know, one time I just said, I said, with Yoda, I'm like, well, that's not, that's of no use to you whatsoever. I mean, I can do it, but trust me, no one's going to use a single frame of it. And they were like, well, of course they will. I'm like, no, it's Yoda. I said, the day I start talking and doing things with my face that you can actually use as a template for Yoda, something, I'm, I'm going to be like <laughs> looking pretty weird, you know? So, so but yeah, it's, it, 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 it's, great. it's an odd thing. How are you doing? One quick more question. Yeah. We got time okay. for it. Um, okay, I'm gonna use this for example. Like in Yu-Gi-Oh, everyone sounds like very like low tone and whatever. But then you have Joey Wheeler who has this like South End of Brooklyn accent. Have you guys ever like done like voiceover where the guy's like completely off from everyone else, but works in like a really weird way? Like you ever get like a really weird voice just come out of like nowhere? What? Well, so you're you're asking if you're you're talking about using someone that. Yeah, sounds like, completely yeah, different completely than the way they... Yeah, like seeing what everyone else and what you're looking at, and you're just like... Because it's a Brooklyn boy in the middle of Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like things. No, it is, uh, no, there's... I mean, the, uh, that again, that's one of the wonderful things about voiceover work, is you can be anything you want, and as long as it sounds authentic, people will accept it, you know? Because it's like, you know, what you're saying, the eye, the eye uh, coupled with a voice uh, you know, if, if the eye agrees that what it's seeing matches the voice, well, you can get away with anything. I mean, again, Yoda, perfect example. For, you know, that character with that voice that Frank Oz came up with made perfect sense and it fit. And so somehow we all, the whole planet Earth accepted that this, this, this little green lizardy thing was a real creature. And, and to this day, you know, it, it, you know, especially with kids, they'll, they'll watch something like that, and Yoda is, is a living, breathing thing to them. There's actually a phenomenon that they've been stud studied scientifically that, we, that it's called the McGurk effect. And it's if you put something in synchronization, a sound in synchronization with an action in perfect sync, that your, your brain believes it. Just like, and so we do that with sound effects all the time. We'll use weird things that to, to to be the sound of an explosion or, or some, some, something will happen like in, there's this funny thing that Ben Burt uses in his example, it's, it's uh, where Indiana Jones is hanging off this, this cliff and he's, he's holding on to a vine, that it's, when, it's in the first Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's escaping the temple. And there's a part where the, he's holding on to the vine and it pulls out of the, the rock and they were looking for a sound for that and, and Ben just took the sound of somebody biting an apple, like just the, just totally sounds like somebody biting an apple. And if you heard, it, it, he put it in perfect sync with the vine pulling out, and it worked. And it just, it, you believe it that that's what the vines would sound like. But if you hear it and you think, oh, that's an apple being bitten into, now that you know that and you listen to that, you'll totally hear it as the apple being bit. But that's the fact hilarious. that your brain just makes that connection because it's in sync and it's an interesting sound. That's, that's, in sound, we get away with that all the time. And right. as you said, yeah, like, you know, Frank Oz doing that weird voice, and, and it's in sync with the little puppet's mouth, and you believe it. That's amazing, I, I read one time, it might have been something, I think it was something about sound design. They were talking about Ben Bird, and now the man is literally a genius when it comes to coming up with sounds out of the most ordinary things or extraordinary things. But one of the examples that was used, 
that, and, and now, once I tell you, the next time you hear it, it'll ruin it for you for life. You know the sound of Godzilla, that, that roar, yeah. that, that the, the way that was achieved, the uh, sound guys at Toho in Japan in 1940-whatever, that is a stretched, tight spring that's about this big, pulled tight, held down into the bowl of a toilet, an empty toilet, and they're rubbing a piece of wood across. Like rosin, I yeah, think. Ros like, yeah, bow, like a bow. bow rosin. Yeah, yeah. And they're like rubbing it on the spring, and it's going, you know, doing what it does, and then the toilet bowl, and the microphone, and voila, it's Godzilla. But if you ever listen to it again, you'll be like, that is a spring. <laughs> yeah, that is a spring. That's cool. Guys, thank you so much for having a chat with us. Would perhaps Yoda like to wish the people well on their journeys? A fine time you will have here at the show. And safe travels home, there will be. Search the force and foreseen it I have. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Wood and Tom Kane. Thank you for coming, guys. Thanks.